0: Listening to 3Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Janet Ruffnow, a fertility counselor and author of 3Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Today I'm here with Ellie, who lives in the UK with her husband and two daughters. Ellie's road to having her girls was not easy. She had a decade of infertility, both primary and secondary, including several miscarriages. In her second trimester, she lost her last baby, before moving on to donor conception. Her pregnancies were plagued with extreme sickness called hyperemesis, and doctors couldn't give her an explanation of why she lost the pregnancies. She still has unresolved shame and guilt from that time.
1: When you get told there's no reason, the only reason that your brain can go to is that your body couldn't keep them safe. Mm. Um, So there's no obvious reason, there's no problem with the baby, it was just that my body couldn't hang on to a seemingly healthy, pregnancy. So you blame yourself. Yes. And although it would have been difficult to find a reason for it, mm-hmm. it might have might have made it easier not to feel sort of blame and guilt.
0: Yes. It's so true that you know we take that on, that responsibility and that happens even with infertility, is that women blame themselves for it yeah. when, you know, it's it's unfair that we do that to ourselves. Yeah. It's not, you know what, what yeah. especially when there's no medical reason um, and it is, it's hard to find when you don't have answers, it just makes it almost feel like you don't have closure, you know, it's, it's just unresolved. Yeah. And so what did you do to work through those? The, how do you work through the feelings of the, yeah, being not resolved? I don't
1: know that we ever fully have, um, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, that one was the toughest loss because it was the furthest along, um, was also the toughest because we told our daughter what was going on that time. So she was was five when we mm-hmm. lost that baby and I'd been really unwell and then I had to go into hospital to have surgery and, and we felt we owed her an explanation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it was really tough to hear her bedtime prayers change from, please can my mummy have a baby to please can my mummy have a healthy baby. Mm-hmm. Um, that was was really, really hard.
2: Yeah, it is.
1: But I think for me positive out of all of that was I knew I wasn't done. Mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't I knew that wasn't a point for us to to stop because I knew mm-hmm. that we I didn't feel we were meant to be a meant to be a unit of three.
0: Yes. You knew you wanted a bigger family and and you weren't gonna stop there until you you got your your next child.
1: Yeah, and, and want isn't even quite the right word. It just didn't feel just didn't feel right. Um I lost my mum when my daughter was about 16 months and I have a really great relationship with my sibling. And I, I just wanted, I almost wanted a sibling for my daughter more than I wanted a baby for myself, if that mm-hmm. makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I wanted her to grow up with, with that same relationship I've got with my sister.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: So we ended up going back um, to this new clinic in spring of 2018.
2: hmm
1: and had another cycle of IVF, which was basically a bit of a disaster from start to finish. Um, I just didn't really respond to medications. I think, in the end, we even at one point there was talk about abandoning the cycle because I was responding so poorly. I only sort of had two or three follicles, mm-hmm. um, which from having got between 10 and 12 eggs um, only 18 months before and a spontaneous pregnancy six months before just felt like such a rapid fall off yes um
0: and at this point at this point how long had it been total that you had been experiencing infertility and
1: miscarriage so I guess we started trying December 2009 our Mm -hmm. daughter was born summer 2012 okay so you know all in all it's been most of the last decade has been
0: 10 years part of this yeah Yes, and then the since your daughter was born, it's that we said you. I think it was two thousand and sixteen.
1: So yes, she was born in two thousand and twelve, and then we had a miscarriage twenty fifteen, and then started IVF twenty sixteen. Wow, yeah. So we're looking at six years. So uh, that cycle was was a disaster, basically. Um, Mm. And the only useful thing was when we had the follow up. It became clear that really my ovarian reserve was was rubbish. Which in hindsight makes a lot of sense. I've had various bits of ovarian surgery um, over the years, Mm -hmm. but I don't think at any point had it been spelled out to me that it was that bigger, it was a problem. And I think it, it does look like it, it fell off a cliff fairly rapidly, Mm -hmm. but it it gave a degree of closure because I knew after that cycle, I couldn't do another round of stimulation um, with with likely such poor results again. So it gave okay. quite decent closure to my own eggs, if that makes sense.
0: It does. It does. And how, at this point, if you don't mind sharing, how old were you when the, it dropped off so rapidly?
1: I would have been 35. Yeah, you
0: know, it's pretty amazing yeah, so that you said that. 37 now. Okay. And that, you know what's funny that you say that? Because that's when endocrinologists say that fertility actually rapidly drops, like you described at age 35. So I'm, I'm surprised that it actually happened almost textbook for you.
1: Well, I think I'd, have, I'd had ovarian drilling as part of treatment previously. And I've had mm-hmm. various bits of my ovaries resected for cysts. So I guess I have
2: mm-hmm.
1: less ovary than somebody might. But yeah, it does okay. seem...
2: Yeah.
1: I, I, and my mum had, had me, at, me at 33 and my sister at 36. So it's not that a, mm-hmm. a premature menopause particularly runs in my, in my family.
0: Yeah, and it's not that um, it's not that way for everybody. This is an average that they is described as an average at thirty-five that fertility drops rapidly. It, it's kind of like you described, almost like going off a cliff. You know, it just it's not a gradual decline; it's it's a rapid decline. Yeah, and so that's how I've heard it described by doctors before. Interesting, so interesting. Yeah, and then when did you make the decision to move on to to donor eggs? To be honest,
1: throughout the last cycle as soon as the last cycle was clearly not going well even during that cycle I was looking at what our options might be
2: mm-hmm.
1: I knew we could obviously carry on trying ourselves and maybe get lucky another time but mm. the chance of that felt pretty low mm-hmm. for us adoption didn't feel the right fit for our family um, mm-hmm. the UK adoption system is is a tricky one and okay It it didn't feel right, particularly with an elder daughter, to bring a child into our family that way, Mm -hmm. which left us with stop or kind of carry on forever trying but with a low chance of success or look at something like donor eggs. Yes. And had a doctor already mentioned it to you at this point? Not at that point, no.
2: Um,
1: So I've been in various... Facebook groups and message boards with, with people. Mm-hmm. I actually um, know Katie, who does the Uber Barons Club on Instagram. Um, yes. So we actually went to school together. Okay. Um, so I knew her anyway. And nice. quite a few, we were on a message board with about six or seven people. And a couple of people on there had donor egg or donor embryo pregnancies. Mm-hmm. So I sort of had picked their brains a little bit. But
0: yeah, you had a good resource.
1: Yeah, but it did feel a slightly odd thing to do already having an elder child conceived through our own eggs. I did wonder if I was being a bit bit greedy, whether I should just accept that maybe this was how it was meant to be and that we were meant to be like this. And there was a reason I couldn't get pregnant. And that actually this was sort of nature's way of saying, no, you're kind of meant to stop. But I say this kind of itch wouldn't go away.
0: Yeah. You know, secondary infertility has been described as the loneliest kind of infertility because of that sentiment that you just described, which is that secondary infertility women that are going through it they can't 100% relate with women going that have primary infertility because women with primary infertility sometimes think you should be glad you have one you know at least you have one and so what women with secondary infertility learn is that they really can't speak freely and and without you know maybe offending someone else or hurting someone's feelings or not being relatable and so they feel even more lonely because they Ache for that second child just as much, um, you know, as, and maybe we can't really qualify feelings between primary and secondary. It wouldn't be fair to do that, but they do have a deep, deep ache. And some people have as much grief as someone with primary. And there can be various reasons for that. There could be, you know, a history, there can be personality types, there can be just someone with more emotionality in general. So, it, you know, it, it would be unfair to say that one type or the other is harder, but we do know for sure that secondary is lonelier and so that's what you experienced as well sounds
1: like yeah it certainly i mean i, I guess i've i've been in both camps it, it's a different kind of hard yeah it's it's not the same hard because
2: mm-hmm.
1: at the end of the day i still have my big girl and i'm still throughout all of that was enormously grateful for her and actually there was a huge level of guilt that i somehow was almost saying she wasn't enough mm. but the the real tricky thing I found in it wasn't the not feeling I belong. Cause actually this, this group of women I found were enormously accepting of the fact that, that we had one child mm-hmm. um, was, I was a woman with a child, but a child who was getting progressively older with no siblings and everybody else was popping out second, third and fourth children
2: oh, seemingly yes. no
1: effort. And you can't, once you've got a child, you can't avoid pregnant women um, yes, and you can't true. avoid hearing about their pregnancies. Um, and. Their baby mm-hmm. announcements in quite the same way. I, I found I was able to, so that was that was where I found that really really tricky. So, were you getting questions
0: from them? Like, When are you going to have a second? When's your you know? When are yeah. you going to try
1: again? Yes, yeah, so that yeah, type And of, I think in in, yeah. in early days it was easy to go. Oh, we're not just not yet. Actually, later sure. on, I, I got pretty I got pretty blunt. Actually, um, I have never minded anyone knowing about our miscarriages or about us having IVF in mm-hmm. sort of standard IVF.
2: Um, mm-hmm.
1: I've always been pretty front with that. So generally I say to people, actually, you know, it not that, isn't that easy for everybody? And actually, you know, you, you, you might just say that to the wrong person sometime. Mm. And as long as I'm on a good day, I, I can answer that question pretty well. But I want to go back to something you said, the the one really helpful thing. So I can't remember if someone said to me or I read it somewhere was that having a, a child after infertility doesn't cure infertility. It cures childlessness. mm mm-hmm. And that's why I think those emotions don't go away and why they're just as raw the second time round. Yes. Um, Yes. But you feel like they shouldn't be because you've reached what you think is the holy grail when you're Mm
2: -hmm.
1: knee deep and trying to conceive. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of what I hung on to the whole way through that. I was still, I was still part of that tribe. I just Mm -hmm. was one of the really lucky ones.
2: Yeah.
0: And tell me, you know, what your thoughts are on uh, that quote that you shared that's, you know, it doesn't cure infertility and that it carries on. And tell me what, how you would describe that feeling that carries on. So to those that maybe don't understand um, that, that never experienced infertility, it, you know, how would you sum that up if you could? Um,
1: that's a really tough one. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think if you've gone through any degree of infertility and infertility treatment, Pregnancy is always going to be much trickier.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think because you're going to be aware of, not that other people are not aware of how precious it is, but mm-hmm. you're going to be even more aware of it and even more aware of how it could get snatched away. Yes. Um, I think you do feel a certain amount of guilt when you're successful and the people who've been battling there with you in the trenches aren't.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because that's really that's really tough to see these brilliant, brilliant people not, not getting what they so, so deserve.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: and it just, it changes everything about you. I think mm. you've become, a, I've got a harder external shell than I had before. Absolutely. Um, I'm a bit more of a closed book to people. And mm-hmm. I also don't think any relationship or marriage could go through infertility and IVF without being changed forevermore. Yes. Um,
0: there's an idealism that is lost, don't you think? Uh, maybe idealism isn't the right way, but a word. But there is a there is a sense of
1: innocence that maybe feels different. It's just it's just not what you it's not what you expect. It's not what you it's not what you imagine. It's not what you hope for. Um, I didn't really know anybody in. Real life, or certainly didn't openly know anyone in real life who'd had fertility problems or miscarriages, mm-hmm. um, because I think people are getting better at talking about things. Um, but a lot of people, even people who've had what I think of as easy IVF journeys, where you know maybe they've had one cycle and they've ended up with two or three babies from from transfers, you know, sometimes those people are quite unseen. Um, I know mm-hmm. there's one in my daughter's class at school that um, it wasn't until I mentioned that we'd had IVF. That she said, "Oh yeah, all three of my kids are IVF." But I would have just looked at her as one of those annoyingly fertile people with two-year age gaps between her children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a whole tribe yeah. of people who who kind of don't admit their infertility because I still mm-hmm. think there's such a shame and a stigma around it. Which yes, it's really sad because we didn't do anything wrong. It's just yeah, it is.
0: And you know, I talk about the shame and the stigma a lot. And then there's this whole other. You know that just kind of popped in my head. This whole other element that, I, when I just take myself back to those years, and I didn't, I didn't openly talk about it with people either. I was very isolated. And I will say there was also an element of competition um, with young mothers or young mothers to be. And there was like this bragging about my you know my fertility and how i can get pregnant by looking at my husband and there was yes. all this chatter going on right in the hallways at the school i remember we'd drop my son off and we'd walk through the hall and their moms would always stop and gather and chit-chat and there would be this chatter about about that and and you know how could how could i possibly open up and talk about um my infertility if they were competing over there so, you know
1: yes yeah, so, yeah no i think i think that's true i i, I find it particularly difficult in church um, okay so, I was at the time in a church where, yeah, as you say, people seem to look at their husband and get pregnant. You know, if they didn't have a baby eleven months after getting married, that seemed to be really unusual. Um, yeah. So, let alone having a, a having a five year old and no and no second child.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So it's hard to certainly hard in group settings when you don't know who you feel can feel safe around, and so it. Um, yeah, it it is hard. Um. What's the big challenge for you right now? Or what is the big question you might have?
1: So I guess to, to finish out the story, what we decided to do was to try a cycle of donor egg IVF, um, which we did uh, in summer of 2018. Um, Mm -hmm. And if I'm honest, I didn't expect it to work, Um, but I felt I needed to do it for closure. Um, I Mm -hmm. needed to say, well, we've tried this and it, it still hasn't worked. And then here ends our story but that isn't quite how it went. So we, um, for a couple of reasons, went and had treatment abroad, um, mm-hmm. partly, partly the weight in the UK, mm-hmm. and partly after so many cycles of IVF, um, finances were a consideration. So um, we had treatment in the Czech Republic.
2: Okay.
1: Um, so we have an anonymous donor, which at the time I wasn't that bothered about. Now I kind of perceive maybe it isn't completely the ideal choice and... and have a few more thoughts around how we're going to manage that long term. Okay, um, but we had a cycle and we had a single embryo transferred, uh, and yeah, I got pregnant. Wow. Um, and despite having some big bleeds um, early on,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, the the baby hung in there. I was I was pretty poorly again. I had had hyperemesis the whole way mm. through pregnancy, all the way through to delivery. Um, wow. I think uh, one of the, the recurrent miscarriage consultants at one point described um, our baby as an um, effective parasite
2: um, oh in the God. way
1: that she was hanging on in there. And I think, to be fair, that was a pretty good description um, of her. And, and, um, <laughs> and so it was, it was tough because I think the whole way through pregnancy, I thought it was going to go wrong. Every time I had a scan, I was convinced there would be no heartbeat.
0: Yes, because um, you've been through it before. Yeah.
1: But then even when we got past the milestones that we'd been at before, um, I was, you know, I was still convinced there was no way we could be this lucky. Um and I couldn't even be reassured by the constant vomiting and constant hospital admissions for dehydration because I'd had that last <sighs> time and it had still gone wrong. And I yeah. really couldn't and I really couldn't enjoy being pregnant because of that anxiety, but also I really couldn't enjoy it because of how ill I was. And then mm. that was a whole additional layer of guilt of I've so desperately wanted to be pregnant and now I'm hating every second no. of the physical experience yeah um yeah but yeah the baby hung on um in the end I got to about 39 weeks and and cried on my obstetrician and just said I, I can't I can't be pregnant another day um mm-hmm. I can't cope with the anxiety and I can't cope with the illness um, and so mm-hmm. we agreed mm-hmm. that I would be induced and our smallest one was born in April of this year so she's almost <sighs> six months old oh how sweet with which is sweet which end. is great and she's a and she's an absolute absolute joy um, mm-hmm. and i don't know if she's made us feel complete yet there's some frozen mm-hmm. embryos which
2: mm-hmm.
1: is a tricky question for another day um, yeah. but she has has certainly healed a lot of the a, a lot around the last miscarriage actually she's probably healed that more than anything else wow um, because I guess the place my head is in is that whilst I don't understand why we had to lose those babies and why we had to have the, the story we do, Mm -hmm. we do have that story and we have that story in order to have her. And so she's Mm -hmm. the baby we're meant to have. Mm -hmm. Um, She's the sister my big girl's meant to have. Um, She's Mm -hmm. the cousin my niece is meant to have. Um, And if we hadn't had those losses, she wouldn't be, she wouldn't be here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So she is, She happened for you. You feel like this happened in the way it was supposed to happen. And here she is and you see her, you know, her personality is coming through her, her, you know, so much more than that, just who she is.
2: Yeah.
1: And,
0: and that's, and it feels really right to you.
1: It feels really right. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It does. It does feel right.
0: Yeah. Well, so something you said earlier, I want to go back to um, Mm -hmm. that you, couldn't enjoy the pregnancy, but then you also felt guilty about not enjoying the pregnancy. And you know, there's so many, almost what seems like opposite feelings, but that doesn't mean anything. You know, it's okay to have opposite feelings. And um, yeah, I think that's just such a, an important
1: topic. It, it just felt like, it felt like such a betrayal of everyone in the trying to conceive community though. Um, I think people get the anxiety around being pregnant, but just to not be able to enjoy it on any level because of the physical side was, was really tough. I don't think mm. there was a day I, that, there, was, that, there were no days I enjoyed my pregnancy. Yeah. I, that, that, there were no, day, no days I was not sick 10, 15 times a day. Oh, that, that sounds really and difficult. I think it was only after she was born that I realized how poor my mood was the whole way through pregnancy.
2: Mm. And when
1: they're coming around afterwards and they're sort of doing the screening test for postnatal depression and, realizing that actually, no, it was all, it's all gone now. Now, now I'm yeah. now I'm not feeling so ill.
0: Yeah. Um, you were just feeling physically bad, which yeah. made you feel mentally bad. Yeah. Makes yeah. Sense.
1: And I think I didn't, I didn't appreciate that. And I think I, I probably could have really done with getting a bit more support around that in pregnancy, mm. but it was all focused on my physical health and no one ever really asked about my mental health. That was never really mm. kind of focused on or, or asked about.
0: And it should be because, especially when you've experienced a miscarriage and been pregnant after miscarriage, it's just such a huge part of pregnancy is feelings of anxiety and, and all the feelings you brought up, really. And so it's, I, I wish that was tended to more. I do. Yeah. Well, tell me what's kind of what's on the top of your mind at
1: this moment? I think, that, I think the big thing for us is that we are very clear that we want to be open with our Smallest about the fact she's donor-conceived. I'm very clear, both before pregnancy and everything I've read since, that, that that's the right thing to do and to be open with her from a really early stage. And I've got a book that I read with her. So talking to her is quite easy because she doesn't talk back. But we need to talk to her sister um, mm-hmm. about the fact she's donor-conceived. So my big girl knows that we had some problems getting pregnant and staying pregnant. And she knows that a doctor helped put her sister in my tummy. Mm-hmm. Um, And she knows that you need a bit from a woman and a bit from a man and a house to grow a baby in. And sometimes those bits don't work. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't know specifically that that happened to us. Okay. And everything I read talks about talking to your donor conceived child, but not actually Mm -hmm. how you talk to their sibling. Mm -hmm. And I think alongside that comes the fact that we've told a few select people we're sort of quite quite generally, private people. So -hmm. it's not that I want it to be this big family secret, um, Mm -hmm. but we want to be a little bit selective in who we tell because we don't want to be the the source of gossip. We live in a fairly small village. And I'm aware that once she knows that we will be slightly less in control of that information because Mm -hmm. she's seven and she may be completely disinterested in it or she may decide to tell her entire class then may go and okay. tell their moms. Um okay. And both are okay, but it's how we, first of all, how we talk to her about it. And then also how we explain to her about that, that we still do feel on some level that although it's our family story, it's also her sister's story to be in control of exactly who knows perhaps.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there, is there anything about your oldest daughter that That she, maybe she's experienced or that she has that, that she likes to keep to herself that, you know, it can be even as simple as a sip of my teddy bear and I'm 10, you know, something like that. That's private, but it's completely normal and healthy and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But you just prefer your friends not know because they may not fully understand or they might be kind of unfair um, and harsh. So you can use a story like that. And then you can say, so we want to tell you about this, but we want you to know that this is one of those things that's really private and that some people, that that your sister may want some people not to know. And and then she might want to tell some people she might feel safe and comfortable telling. And so we want to respect her right to privacy. And so while you're older and you have the privilege of being the older child and, and you get to know this because you know more when you're older and you have privileges, but we also are giving you that privilege and that assignment, a responsibility of, of, of knowing that this is something that we keep inside the family. And I've had these conversations with my, with my kids as well, um, where it's like, hey, just so you know, guys, like I want to be open and have a really open and healthy communication amongst us. But I want you to know that this isn't something you go tell your friends. And that would be, if you did tell your friends this about this thing, then I would, I would be embarrassed. And, and I'm, I feel, safe with you sharing this, but I wouldn't want everybody to know that because not everybody will handle the information in a way that's
1: respectable. We wanted to be able to hopefully, I mean there are some adults who who know, um, mm-hmm. so that we would be able to say to her, but you know, if you do want to talk about it and you don't want to talk about it with the mommy and daddy, then you can go and talk about it with, you know, your aunt or I think we're gonna tell her head teacher at school in case she mentions anything at school. Mm-hmm. Um and sort of mm-hmm. um a couple of other sort of really close friends who who knows, so that she has got some people she can talk to Mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. Because I think if I, if there's no one she can talk to, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it might even be more likely that she says something, if that makes sense. Whereas if she's got a, if she's got a potential outlet, then I, I feel maybe she'll have a safe, safe person to talk to. Yeah. And
0: so I agree because you almost don't want to put too much of a, of a charge on it because then it seems like it's, it's something I have to hold inside and I might burst. Yeah. Open with it. So, what you can do in that case is just uh, when you explain it to her about privacy, uh, don't over-explain. Don't just tell her about the privacy part, but don't don't uh, make it so heavy about the privacy part. And that way, again, that's in your tone and how you communicate. And so, there's a certain letting go that we say, "Hey, this is private," but then in the back of your head, I'm I think of this when I told my daughter, I know she still might say something because you know sometimes kids say things to maybe fit in or to be interesting or however, you know, and then I still have to be okay with that. And so I can live, (laughs) I can live with that if she does say something and it's not like, Hey, did you say something today? You better not have said anything. We're not going to do it. handle that way,
1: obviously. Yeah. I think, I think planning to, to talk to her has made me want to talk to more people about it as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we've, we haven't intentionally concealed it. We just haven't Told it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So does. The only the only one yeah. person who has asked me, which came in such a roundabout way, we answered and said, "You, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right." um she's not my eggs. Yeah, um, yeah. But at the same time, I I don't in the same way that I don't go out of my way to tell people we had IVF unless it comes up in conversation. Right. I don't. I don't want to suddenly go. Right, guys. So now there's this there's this thing that we haven't told you, and now we want to tell you because I feel that be making it a big thing but I do feel there are more conversations and more people I'm getting to know where it it feels like it's closer to coming up in in conversation anyway
2: mm-hmm. and so
1: to, I think it's really important that our big girl knows before more other people know because our family unit is the, the small bit if that makes sense and I it feel is. that if she knows that lots of other people know something before her then she might feel a bit either that I didn't trust her um mm-hmm. or just that i that i lied to her by omission and and we've always really strongly talked to her about telling the truth um, and not mm-hmm. lying so i mm-hmm. don't want to be lying to her by omission mm-hmm. um whereas with adults i feel i can make a decision about who to tell
0: that's right and you know usually it happens that you end up talking about it kind of naturally over time i mean there are going to be situations where maybe you do have to go out of your way to mention it to a head teacher or to a a relative that doesn't know, but that in general, most of these conversations come up as you get more comfortable
1: sharing. And, um, yeah, it's, and and I can feel that they're, that they're bubbling to the surface because people are starting to comment on how actually the the two, the two, the two girls look so alike, Mm -hmm. like ridiculously so. Wow. And at the moment it's really easy because they look like their dad. (laughs) So actually yeah. when people say, who do they look like? The answer is they look like their dad. It's, it's, it's a truthful answer regardless of, of whose eggs they, they may have been. It's the same answer mm-hmm. that was true when, when my big girl was six months. But
2: actually mm-hmm.
1: then someone the other day said, oh, but they're, they've, they've got slightly different um, skin tones, haven't they? And it would have been an ideal opportunity to say why. Um, but it took me by surprise and I, I, haven't, got my, I haven't got my words there quite yet mm, that's um, okay
0: that's okay you, you they'll come they will definitely yeah. come and uh, you know just sometimes people rehearse those and they just replay the scene and they say how yeah. could I say it that would feel comfortable for me in, in what words could I use and so yeah they'll, they'll definitely come
1: to it's you been so, it's been such a turnaround though because I think when we initially went down this route and even when we had our, our, our implications counseling in the UK when we were thinking about having um, treatment here but I have to say it was, it was quite a cursory um, session. We were very much of the view of, well, we will tell the bare essential people um, Mm -hmm. and we will tell our daughter when she's old enough to understand and then we'll let her decide who, who knows. But the more I've read and listened to and the more podcasts I've listened to, particularly with donor conceived adults, Mm -hmm. the more I've read that just the, and thought about just the huge burden that would actually be placing on a small child, Mm -hmm. um, by making her responsible for that information, and that if we've not told anyone, it it's going to come across as if we're ashamed of our choice, and and we're really not, and just really want to get it right. And it yeah yeah it's difficult. <laughs>
0: yeah, and you know I I want to speak to that and say that so we as adults are very capable of navigating these complex social situations. It takes a a level of cognitive sophistication. And so we can decide, you know, how to tell, how to not tell, how to avoid, how to handle certain situations. To ask a child to do that is almost, it's cognitively impossible for them. They they don't have that level of sophistication yet, so they don't know when to tell who to tell, how to tell who should they not tell who should they tell. That's just too hard
1: for them to figure out. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right on that. You're right. But it's it, uh, that's been quite a big a big turnaround, and I think particularly listening to some of the podcasts where people have found out, you know, as proper adults doing sort of all these DNA testing, um, ancestry, and twenty three and Me and and, and the difference in the people who seem to have known their whole lives
2: and how mm-hmm. for them
1: it, it it's much less of a, a big deal and I think mm-hmm. um it was one of the it was one of the chats we were doing on Instagram wasn't it that that someone was saying that actually the fact that they're donor conceived they view as the least interesting piece of information about them mm.
0: um a donor conceived
1: person said that yeah. yeah yeah and actually that's that's how I'd like it to be for our daughter like it's mm-hmm. part of her it's it's an integral part of her. It's an integral part of, of how she came to be. And I don't want to deny that. and I don't want to change it. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, there are things that, that matter and will matter about her so much more than that. And mm-hmm. that's quite important too. I think of it as a series of building
0: blocks and how we build our
1: life and grow
0: and how we become more interested, interesting and interested in things. And so that piece of the story, if you tell them from a young age, it's, it's almost like a brick in their foundation, but they've built so much upon that foundation. That's so much more interesting and complex and unique that make them who they are, that, that, that's a very important brick. It's a very, very important part of their foundation. And maybe just, let's not just call it one brick, let's call it a whole slab, but basically If you know that from the beginning, then you build from it and it becomes less relevant. If you don't know about it from the beginning, then all of a sudden those bricks have been pulled out from under you. And now the foundation feels like it's crumbling.
1: Yeah. And that's why I think a big girl needs to know now, because if we leave it too much longer, it's going to seem a really, it's going to seem a deception to her. And it may question how she, I don't want it to change how she sees her sister. So I guess, you know, biologically there. They're technically half siblings rather than full siblings, okay. um, but that's certainly not how I see them, and it's not how I would hope they would see each other.
0: So when we say technically, it's scientifically, it's biologically, yeah. Yeah. Um, to a certain extent, but it's uh, socially, uh, yeah, their sisters,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess she, she, she lives in a world where, where lots of her peers have half siblings, mm-hmm. um, you know, from relationships that have broken down and parents who've, who've gone and had. Had subsequent children, so she's aware of what mm-hmm. that concept is, and some of them even all all live together. So, I just want mm-hmm. to make sure that, yeah, that she sees her sister as her, and that mm-hmm. she knows that's that's part of her story, but that she still sees her sister as as the baby that she is, and as the person she's getting to getting to know. I mean, they're they're already completely thick as thieves, mm-hmm. <laughs> six months in. She's, so, uh,
0: she's looking after her and protecting her. She's,
1: she so say so the the tiny one giggles for the big one in a way she giggles oh. for nobody nobody else. Oh, I, say, you know, I love are, that they are they are, yeah. When I see them together, it yeah, I could I could cry happy tears because I, I never th- I never yes. thought, and I just I never thought I'd get it. And um, so that the other day that the tiny one sat up for the first time on her own,
2: mm-hmm. and uh,
1: I showed her sister, and she burst into tears. I was like, "What were you crying for?" what what, what are you doing and she said you've just made me so happy it's the best thing ever being a big sister and I just yeah oh
0: wow and so I just
1: so I just don't want to do anything to to ruin their relationship really wow what a powerful thing for her to say it might change when when the small one can move and can steal her toys and and pull her hair and and break things but but for now
0: (laughs) for now Mm -hmm. it's the best thing that happened to her Yeah. yeah But yeah yeah. It just makes me think of that word kindred and kin, you mm-hmm. know, and that we, it's, we think of it as, as family relations, but that it really is just similar in kind and that, you know, you, that you have a connection. And I think that's what you just described, which is
1: really cool. Yeah. yeah. They, I mean that they, that they, they do. Yeah, that's cool.
0: So let me ask you this. How do you see yourself sitting down with her or not, maybe not sitting down, maybe just saying it in passing. How do you see yourself mentioning this to her?
1: Um, so we're going so we're going away in a couple of weeks. Um, we're going to be away on a holiday and we thought that might be quite a good opportunity when she isn't going into school the next day. So maybe to give her some time and space to talk to us about it.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: maybe, maybe a degree of the interest will have, will have worn off by the time she's back at school. Then maybe that's yeah. again, just about my, my fears about her telling people. Um, sure. but Also it's, it's just, we're going to be away. we're going to have time and time where, you know, we've not got homework or piano practice or brownies or you know the 101 other activities we're, we're running to all the time, and you know where my mm-hmm. husband's not not running out the door to, to work early in the morning and getting home late at night, so where we can actually have a proper conversation was we thought that might be a, a window. and it's, it's only a couple of weeks away, so it feels, it feels like now is the, is the time to be talking to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt more compelled in the last fortnight that I really need to, need to talk to her about it. And some of that has been reading stuff on Instagram. Some of that's been reading your book. But some yeah. of it is just that it's in, in the same way, it's that same feeling as having felt we weren't done as a, as a three. It's just this feeling inside me that you know, this is the right thing to do and I need to, and I need to do it now. Yeah. What, what's the scary? What, what makes it scary? I think it's the potential loss of control of that information. Okay. I think actually actually that's what it boils down to. If I knew I could tell her and she Mm -hmm. wouldn't mention it to anybody else, Mm -hmm. I think I'd be less anxious. And then I don't know why I'm so anxious because there's so many people who are so open about it. But Mm -hmm. I think, I think it is just the fact I I just don't want to be the source of, of gossip. I think anyone who actually cares about us won't care about the information or or it won't matter to them. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, yeah. It's just, yeah. People like to talk, don't they? And, and they, they do things that they don't That's understand good. or that are the different become, become the source of topic and a uh, conversation. And I, I just, I don't want to be that. Uh, and, and again, because I don't want it to be the thing that they see or they think when they see my daughter, I just want them to see her as her. Oh, so what,
0: what do you think if, what would they say what would be
1: said that would bother you the most? I think what the main thing that would bother me is that I, they wouldn't necessarily say it to me. So I think mm-hmm. actually, if people would just come and ask me a question, that would probably be fine.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: worry that people will be talking, but I won't really know what they're saying, if that makes okay. sense.
0: Behind your back. Um, yeah. And what do you think would, so, but do you have a, a thing that they might say that would bother you more than something else?
1: Um, no, I think it's, ju- it's just, I don't like being talked about. Um, I okay. don't, I don't, I don't like being the center of attention. Okay. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't crave the, what she says talking on a podcast. Um, I don't crave the spotlight or attention. Um, that's mm-hmm. not, that, that that's not my, my natural personality. Um, mm-hmm. And. So wouldn't if you weren't in the spotlight, but you, but let's just hypothetically say you were
0: being, you know, it was being mentioned, it was yeah. being shared, what, um, what do you imagine would feel, you know, cause it may be along the lines of, Hey, you know, um, Ellie's child mentioned that, that her baby sister is, they needed some help to have baby sister and that they don't share the same, the same genes. Yeah. Um, did, did you hear that? Did you know that Ellie used a, a donor? And then yeah. the other person might say, you know, I, I didn't, uh, which she did, she used a donor. Wow. Okay. I, yeah, I didn't know. So this is how, imagine, is this making you yeah, swing?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my heart's going a bit faster. Um, oh yeah. So think, that, even yeah. that
0: just is too much. That's even though just, just sharing that information I feels. Think it's
1: because I just think it's, I think it's outside most people's sphere of reference. And I think <sighs> what people, what people don't know about or understand about, they are more inclined to judge or to feel negative emotions too i think mm-hmm. um it's in so many ways it's it is it, it is silly isn't it because we made we made this choice and we i say we're completely at peace for this choice and then i say i'm worried about people knowing it's it's a bit it's of a okay. contradiction it's, in terms That's okay
0: well just like we talked about earlier there's all kinds of opposing feelings yes yeah. well what let me ask you though, what would the judgment be that would what would that
1: judgment be from them that. Um, so, I don't want people to think we were greedy. In that we oh, should have, okay. you know, should, should should we have just stopped with the one child? Um, okay. And were we sort of kind of playing God and messing with science? Um, okay. I know there are there are some people I don't think necessarily anyone within our our community, but I know there are there are definitely lots of people out there who don't think donor conception is. Is a good thing, or is okay. something that should be allowed? And and I think certainly uh, there are people who who feel quite strongly that the egg donation in particular is perhaps exploiting people. Um, and I'd hate that somebody thought that I'd taken advantage of another woman, because actually yeah. I, I view that this woman did something really amazing for us, and I mm. I wish I could thank her, and I will be eternally grateful to her. So if If someone was to feel that I felt anything other than that i would I would find that hard um, okay. and yeah i, I, I it's, it's just it, it's just being different isn't it, it I, I already feel it every time somebody comments on the fact of oh that's a big age gap, I already feel different and it's just another potential source of different when all I want to be is a person with children, and I've never been that person because of all the infertility stuff in the in the first place. So mm-hmm. I think all that baggage all plays all plays into feeling different when you mm-hmm. kind of want to fit in.
0: It does. Absolutely. It does. Absolutely. Do you think people that have more than one child in general are greedy?
1: <laughs> no, no, of okay. course not. <laughs> um, and in the, in, in the same way that when people who can have more than one child tell you that you should just adopt for your second child or Uh, I don't think that that's a greedy sentiment either. Um, so no, I don't, but I guess I do know, but I do know a number of people who have only had one child and have chosen not to go down the fertility route for a subsequent child because they felt that that wasn't right for their family. But equally, I feel this was right for our family. That's right. Um, and to an extent their, their views and their opinions shouldn't matter. But I guess Mm -hmm. I just—I've always been somebody who worries far too much about what other people think. That's a,
2: Mm. and Mm that—that
1: is definitely a a characteristic that my that my elder daughter shares. Um, Mm. So some of it is all about protect. So a lot of it is just about protecting my family from judgment and from external judgment, and protecting this baby Mm. girl who can't, you know, who ultimately Mm. has no say into how she came into this world. Um, And her sister Mm -hmm. had no say into Mm -hmm. the fact that her, you know, my husband and I, we, we're the adults here. We made the choices the the girls didn't get a say in this. Um, Mm -hmm. And our choices are going to have some repercussions for them.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And so I think a lot of, a lot of the fear is about the unknown and the wanting to protect them because I can't know, because I can't know how people are going to react. And in fact, everyone who we've told so far has kind of, yeah. Right. Okay. Next, next comment, or mm-hmm. you know, n- nobody has said anything remotely negative. um maybe that's maybe maybe it's just I've selected the people really well. Or actually, maybe people mm-hmm. maybe people really don't care half as much as I think they as I think they would. But yeah, it's about. I think it boils down to sort of that mother bear <laughs> kind of must protect small people who who can't who can't protect themselves. So, how can we protect? How can we protect ourselves from judgment? So we can't. (laughs) Um, We can't. We can't. (laughs) I think. I think. I think that that's the bottom line, isn't it? I can't. I can't control what people's reactions are going to be. No. But I guess I can control my reaction to it. That's right. And why I want my elder daughter to have some safe people to talk to is because if her Mm -hmm. first experience of talking to another adult who's not me or her dad about this gets a negative reaction then that may color her entire attitude towards it because at seven she's impressionable. And mm. if someone tells her it was wrong or it's not right, or that she should be ashamed or that she shouldn't tell anyone, then that may mm. affect how she feels about everything going forward. And And I don't want that to happen.
0: Do you feel like she would come and tell you that
1: if that happened? Would she share that with you? I think I'd get it out of her eventually. Um, I'm not okay. sure she would come straight and tell me, but I think Usually, I can pretty much tell when something's upset her. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a pretty good judge of her in that sense, and and eventually, it usually comes out what it what it is. But she, mm-hmm. you know, like me, she she doesn't like being different. She wants to fit in. Um, mm-hmm. She, you know, she she finds it difficult when people say mean things. She's everyone thinks their child is great. Yeah, you know, she's got <laughs> she's got lots of not so great characteristics, but she's inherently quite kind. Um, And I think, unfortunately, we don't live in as kind a world as I would like. Um, And she does, you know, she does feel things pretty strongly. She she wears her heart on her sleeve, and she feels her highs very high, and her lows quite profoundly as well. And so, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think, at the moment, I'm more worried for her than I am for the little one, because hopefully, if we do it right with the little one, then the foundations will have been. Will be laid and things will will fall into place but you know very much when I was reading your book you know talking she sort of falls into that sort of middle childhood bracket Mm -hmm. where you know Mm -hmm. I think it's trickier than than if they're a preschooler or if they're a even Mm -hmm. pre a Mm -hmm. preschooler um Mm -hmm. it is and it is yeah and so I think I guess I have to model to her how to respond when people don't say completely nice things yes
0: yes and communication is huge too and so at, you know you can tell her when you tell her the uh, information about her baby sister you can tell her that that you if anyone says anything to her about this you know you want to keep this private in the family but if this comes up or you hear this somewhere else or something you hear about this bothers you in any way come and talk to me about it yeah and let's have a conversation and I want you to tell me because I want to be able to help you talk about this if, if you need to. So please share with me. And that's when you can then yeah. really empathize and validate her feelings and hear her, th- hear her out. And uh, those are huge learning
1: opportunities. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think making sure she knows that she can come back and talk about it, I think is, is really important. Mm-hmm. And checking in, checking in as well. How do you decide how often to to do that? Because h- how, how do you make sure you're dredging up stuff they don't need to or want to talk about versus making sure they've got an opportunity, if that makes sense?
0: So you listen, you tune in to what they're talking about and what they're expressing.
1: It was really funny. She was she was sat reading she was sat reading a, all about my body book yesterday. And there was like a, yeah. a page about genes and about how you inherit this from your mom and this from your dad. I was like, oh no, yes. it's like a perfect storm of, see everything is telling exactly. me, I have to tell her now.
0: <laughs> oh, it sure is. It sounds like it is. Yeah, and so then you just use those natural moments that come up in life that are sub- subject related. So yeah, you just, you, you know, you'll trust that your gut and your, and your instincts on that. And there's going to be times when you know it's not the right time. Maybe they're talking about something related, but they're also in a bad mood because, you know, something's not going right uh, with, you know, their current situation. So that obviously isn't the time yeah. to talk about it. So yeah, you use those teaching moments that come up and, and, and you'll know if you're, if they're not interested in you dredging it up, because they'll show you they're disinterested. And they'll be, oh no, I'm good. I just I'm I want that cookie, or I want this. Can you get me? A, you know they're yeah. they're going to be on please to put, something please else.
1: Please put the TV back on. Yeah.
0: Yes, please. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Jana Repnow LPC. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby on amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com and target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.